I have not mentioned. Uh, my name is Todd Watkins, and my wife and three kids are members here at the wedding. Um, I'm excited to share this morning, and I'm just going to get started. Have the offering uh, passed along. Uh, today we're starting a series called uh, on a Advent, and uh, kind of beginning of four parts to think about the Christmas season. And when we think about Advent, actually Advent literally means arrival. So during this time of Advent, we're remembering uh, the arrival of Christ when Jesus came, and we are also looking forward to His coming. So in a similar way today as it was 2,000 years ago, um, when the Israelites and the people of God were waiting, had been waiting for many, many years, thousands of years, for their king to come, and they were waiting for their Messiah to come to bring peace to the world, to bring justice, to bring life, and to restore the world as they knew it because there was a tremendous amount of suffering that they were going through and the entire world was going through. And they were waiting for that, and Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and that's what we celebrate during this time of year. In that same kind of way, we're waiting for Him to come again. It's been a couple thousand years, and He promised that He would not just come once, but that He was going to come again. And when He came the second time, He was going to bring complete restoration. He was going to bring His justice and His peace, and He was going to complete what He began 2,000 years ago. And so that's what we wait for. That's what we're looking forward to. And that's the message I want to give today is on this message of hope, the Christian hope. And when we think about hope, actually the hope is literally defined as to wish for something with expectation of its fulfillment, right? I mean, we can use hope in a lot of different ways. Uh, sometimes we don't use it in that kind of way. Sometimes we use hope in the way of just wishful thinking, right? You know, I hope... Uh, I, I don't get sick, right? It's kind of a wish. Or I hope, you know, someday uh, I have a good job. Or I hope when I'm old, I'm happy. And we have these wishes, but true hope is hoping for something and longing for it and expecting it to come into a reality. So it could be viewed like this. Hope is a vision of the future that you're longing for and waiting to become a reality. The intangible becomes tangible. And hope is a very powerful thing. I mean, we all express hope in different ways in our lives, right? We, you know, maybe you're in a relationship with a man or a woman, and maybe you have a hope that that will develop into marriage one day. And so you kind of have that hope or that desire that someday you would be married to this other person, and you're kind of working towards that end and an expectation that that would come about. Or you are married and you don't have children, but you hope to have children, and that's something that you desire and that you want and you're longing for, you're expecting to become a reality, and you are working towards that in certain kinds of ways, right? Or you hope that you will be the first of your, to graduate the first of your class. So it's not just a wishful thinking, but you're actually longing for it, you're working for it, you're aiming towards that thing to make it a reality. Or you hope to get out of poverty. It's not just a wish, but it's actually something that you're you're working towards to get out of poverty, that someday you wouldn't be in that situation, that it would be different. And so hope has power. There's a scripture in Proverbs 13, 12, that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Right? So when we're, we're hoping for something, if we don't get what we're hoping for because we're expecting to get it, we don't get it and it's deferred, it can make our heart sick. It can break our hearts. It can bring uh, depression, discouragement, frustration. 
And maybe we've all experienced that in different kinds of ways. And so that's why we have to be really careful what we put our hope in. But then it says, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. It brings life. And we know, we all know stories about people who've um, expressed and lived out hope in different ways. And this hope has gotten them through tremendous difficulties or it has allowed them to accomplish great things. And I was thinking about, you know, who are the people that I admire who have expressed hope in a substantial way in this world? And I thought about this guy, Louis Zamperini. You guys know his story. There was a movie about him called Unbroken, and there was a book about him as well, Unbroken, but it also was a book called Devil at His Heels, or At My Heels. And Lewis was an amazing guy, if you don't know his story. When he was growing up, he had a lot of challenges and difficulties in his life, and uh, he got in a lot of fights and a lot of trouble. But he realized along the way that he was a pretty good runner. He was pretty good at running. And uh, he started to compete and train to run long distance. And as he was doing that, he realized, well, he, he, you know, he, was, he, could, he could do this. He could beat these guys. And he began to develop an ambition, a dream, a hope that he would one day make it to the Olympics. And he began to work very hard towards that hope, that expectation that he was wanting to see achieved in his life. And while he was training, one, there was one day when it was really very difficult for him and he kind of wanted to give up, but his brother said to him, Lewis, Remember, a moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. A moment of pain, Lewis, you're struggling right now in the difficulty right now. It's really hard, but, but if you achieve what you are hoping for, it'll bring you a lifetime of glory. And you know what? That's what happened. He made it to the Olympics. He achieved his dream. He got to enjoy the glory of the Olympics and run in an Olympic race. He didn't get the gold medal, which would have brought more glory, But just making it there was worth all the effort that he put in to see that become a a reality. But Lewis went on after he uh, went to the Olympics. He joined the military and was in the Air Force. And if you know the story, he was on a bomber that went down in the Pacific Ocean. He crashed in the Pacific Ocean, and miraculously, he and two other guys survived. And they lived on a little inflatable boat, like inflatable raft. There were two inflatable rafts. And for 47 days, they were in the Pacific Ocean in no man's land. And they suffered and they starved and they almost died. Actually, one of them did die. They ate birds that landed on their raft, grabbed them and killed them and ate them raw. They fished, they drank the rain, and they, 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 they literally were dying. But Lewis never gave up. He believed that they were going to make it. He believed someone would rescue them, that somehow that they would survive. And he had this internal just motivation where you saw his, his contrast between one of the other guys' contrast was the opposite, right? This other guy didn't think they were going to make it, and he actually died. Well, 47 days into it, they were rescued, but they were rescued by the Japanese. And then for the next year and a half, Lewis lived in these, these camps that were tremendously difficult, right? There was, he suffered starvation, beating, deprivation, isolation for a year and a half, but he didn't give up. I mean, I'm sure there were times where he and others despaired a little bit, but he believed that they were going to be rescued. He believed that they were going to be saved. He believed that, that the U.S. Army was going to end the war and they would be liberated. And he kept on enduring and enduring and enduring. And you know what? In 1945, the war ended and they were liberated. And I think about his story and how the power of hope 
helped him persevere through great difficulty, and it amazes me. And I think about our world today, and we think about all the problems in our world. I mean, it's just littered with so many problems, massive problems and issues, yet we don't give up, do we, right? We don't give up. It can feel overwhelming, but we don't give up. I mean, people still are working to end war. People are working to end poverty. There's a hope, there's a vision that one day we could have a world without poverty, and people work towards that end, towards that vision. A day without cancer, a world without cancer, without injustice, oppression, racism, prejudice, and we're longing for that kind of world and hoping for that kind of world, and we strive for it with an expectation that someday, hopefully, we could get it. And why do we hope and wish for things to be different? Why do we hope and wish for ourselves to be different? And the reason is, as we know from the Scripture, is that the world is not the way God created it to be, right? God made the world and humanity very different than it is today. Everything in this world today is broken to some degree. It's falling apart in some form or fashion because of sin and because of death. And so we want things to be different because they aren't the way that they were originally intended to be. We know from Genesis, and we studied that as a church, that sin brought a curse into this world. It has frustrated the creation. It has brought death. It has alienated us in our relationship with God. It's put us at odds with one another, and it's put us out of sync with creation. We are at odds with creation itself. So we were intended to be in peace with God, we were intended to be in peace with one another, and we were intended to be in peace with creation. Actually, we were to have dominion over creation and rule it in a good way, and it was to be subjected to us, and it was, it was to submit to us as we, as we ruled over it. And yet, our world doesn't quite work that way, right? I mean, we've done amazing things as a human race, but we still are extremely frustrated day to day in our lives. I mean, I can't even get my dog to obey me sometimes, right? I mean, ah, just please, just, would you just listen to me? And actually, I was made, I was created to live in a way in which my dog would obey me. But we don't live in that world. It's frustrated. It's a frustrated world. Things are falling apart. Our bodies are falling apart. You know, the older I get, I'm not that old. But I start feeling it, right? Back pains, aches. My body is not continuing to go up in life. It hits a peak and it starts to go down. It breaks. It falls apart, right? Our world, I don't know if you know this, but 99% of all the life, actually all the species that have existed on earth have gone extinct. Only 1% of all species that have existed on earth live today. Our world is not growing in diversity in life. It's actually the opposite. There's, we are becoming less diverse in, as a creation in the world. Things are going extinct, not coming into existence. This world is dying. It's, go, it's fading. That's what we live in. And when you see people go through that and you realize the frailty, frailty of life. I saw a friend this last year. I had a walk with a friend who, who died. And it was really hard to see a friend, I didn't think I was going to get emotional, but to see a friend die and to see his body just become weak and he can't do what he used to be able to do and he, 
He, he's losing his ability to think and to breathe. And then one day he's just gone. And it's like, it just feels wrong, right? People are here and then they're gone and they're, they're dead. And this life, this joy, this person is, is not there anymore. But the Christian has a hope that the world isn't always going to be this way, that it is going to change, right? But it's not going to be our, by our doing. It's not going to be by our efforts. It's going to be by God's doing and God's efforts. What we long for in the world, what we hope for the world to be, will become a reality. That's the hope of the Christian faith, that it will become a reality and that actually Jesus is going to put everything back together again. He, he came the first time to begin that work, right? But he's going to come a second time to complete it. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear sin for the many, right? He came one time to bear our sin, but will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eager, eagerly waiting for him. So he came once to deal with sin. He's coming a second time to save this world who are waiting for him, bring salvation, bring restoration to all of humanity. Though there are some that are waiting for him, then there are some that are not. There are many that are excited and wanting to his return. There are many who don't care about it. And when he comes, there will be a salvation for some and there will be a judgment for others, is what the scriptures say. And so we live in this time now, it's this tension of this already, yet not yet. Already Jesus has come, already we're free from condemnation, already we're free from a certain aspect of the power of sin, already we've become children of God and are born of the Spirit, but we are not yet made complete, we are not yet made whole, we are not yet free and liberated. But it's coming, so we wait. And so I want to read through a passage with you guys and kind of pick it apart in Romans, in Romans chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, you can look at Romans chapter 8, and some of the ushers will pass out Bibles. If you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand. Or if you want to pull it up on your phones, you can use this link, um, or you can go into the Bible app and type in The Well Austin, and some of these, these verses will come up for you. But it will be on the screen, too. So Romans 8, we're, if, we're jumping into the middle of a thought here. And if you really want to understand the gospel well, I would really encourage you to, to read through Romans chapter 1 through 8 and read through it like 20 times because it's deep and it's profound and it really helps us unpack what God has done for us in Jesus. But we're at the end of it. At the end of Romans 8 is where I'm going to jump into. And what Paul has developed a thought, and at the end of it, he's just really encouraging us in who he's, God has made us to be. And he's reminding us that we have been born of God. If you're in this room and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that means that you have, your, God's spirit has come to live in you and that you have literally become born of God. You are a new creation. You were once a creation of God, but now you become a child of God through his spirit dwelling in you. You've been regenerated. And that's where Paul starts this in in verse 15, the second part of verse 15, he says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we 
are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Let's stop there for a minute, okay? So this says that we have received the Spirit and an adoption as sons. Why does he not say sons and daughters? Is he just highlighting the men here? He's not focusing just on the men. What he's giving us a picture is that in that time, in that context, in that culture, the inheritance from the father went down to the sons and into the family through the lineage of the son. And what he's saying here is that men, women, we all in God are heirs of the kingdom. We all have been given that title of sons. It's not just going to be distinguished between men and women, but he's, in, he's using an, an idea that of that time to ele- elevate all of us, men and women, as heirs. And he says, you're children of God, right? Just as a child, you know, my children will inherit the things that I have. They'll be given to him. He says, we are going to inherit all the things of God. We'll be fellow heirs with Christ. And this is, this is our future. This is our future to inherit all that is God's, all of creation, all that God has made. With Christ, together with Him, we will inherit, and actually we will reign and we will rule with Him over His creation, over the universe. As we are subjected to Him, we will reign with Him. Actually, it'll be like kind of like what we were created for in Adam and Eve back in the garden, you know, to have dominion and to exercise authority, and we will be given that. He's going to allow us to join in with Him. Can you imagine the generosity in the, the, uh, that's in God? I'm going to give you all of my creation. You're going to reign and rule with me. And that's, that's our future, to be glorified rulers. And so the first kind of thing that we have to look forward to is an inheritance. We have an inheritance that's coming to join and be with Christ and to receive all that is God's, which is profound to think about that that is true. But the scripture goes on, and I'll come to verse 17 a little bit later, But let me go into verse 18 here. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, in these two verses, it tells us something else about our future. It tells us not only are we going to have an inheritance, but we're going to have a glory. It says that there's going to be a revealing, a glory that's going to be revealed to us and that we then will be revealed to all of creation. There will be a revealing of the sons of God to all, and, and all of creation is eagerly waiting that day. Is that, it's kind of wild, right? There's going to be a day when God's going to say, look at, to, look at, through all of creation, look at these are my children. These are my children. And we're going to participate in God's glory in some profound way. And, and he's going to say to the universe, these are mine. These are mine. More unique than anything else that I've ever made. More glorious than the angels. These, you, are his. And it's interesting because we think of that idea of glory. What's that even mean to be like in God's glory and all that stuff? But yet at the same time, there's this part of us that aches and longs for glory, right? Each of us, we we kind of long for glory. We, we kind of like approval, right? We don't we kind of crave affirmation or compliments or recognition? Isn't that why, kind of why, and some reasons, why Facebook and Instagram is so big? Right? You know, because on those platforms, we get to say to the world, hey, 
look at my glory, right? Look at my glory here. Look at my family and look at my glory here with my family and my kids. Look at this trip I'm on and the glory of it. Look at this taco and its glory, <laughs> right? Look at what I'm eating. Look at where I'm going. Look at my new car. Look at my new dress. Look at my new, you know, we're, it's, it's, it's the sense of showing ourselves to the world and our glory. And we love that. We long for that. And that ache for glory actually is a clue. It's a clue to what we were made for. It's a clue to what we were made for. We were made for, to be, have glory. We were made to be affirmed, but not just in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God. That He would, our desire for approval is to, make, we are made to have it met in God. And we try to get acceptance and affirmation in all these different ways, but God says there's going to be a day where I'm, you're going to be revealed to all of creation and your glory is going to be seen and in, in, in shine across the universe. It's amazing. And he's going to say, you're mine. As he said to Jesus, this is my son, this is my daughter who I'm well pleased. And when we hear that from God, it meets something deep in our hearts that nothing in this world can meet. Nothing else can touch the deepest part of our hearts the way God can when he says, you are mine. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. And creation is waiting for that day. It's waiting for that day. The first thing we have to look forward to is inheritance. The second thing is glory. That is what is coming. The third thing is freedom. In verse 20, it says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope, God is the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Scripture says that right now we live in a world that's frustrated, that's it's, it's in bondage, it's, it's, it's in corruption, bondage to decay and corruption. It's, it's, it's held fast by sin and death and suffering. And there's going to be a day where creation is going to be liberated. It's going to be set free. And it is, it is in child pains, waiting for that day, groaning for that day, groaning for it. I mean, you know, all of creation right now is on, the, on its tiptoes. It's on its tiptoes, waiting for us, to be re- to, for us to be revealed and it to be liberated. And when that happens, the scriptures say that the mountains will literally sing for joy and that the rivers will clap their hands. Literally, the hills will be alive with the sound of music. <laughs> literally. It's going to come alive in a way that has, we have never seen it or experienced it before. I mean, I think about people who are into the environment and environmentalism, and I go, man, this is what it's really all about. The whole creation renewed and made new and made good. I mean, in Isaiah 6, 11, or 11, 6 through 9, listen to this. It says, the wolf will live with the lamb. All right, those two animals don't get along. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion, the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. What a vision. 
a little child leading a lion. The infant, oh no, the cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. One of the most deadly animals, the infant will play near its den. A young child will put its hand into a viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. Amen? Amen. This is the vision of the future. The earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. This is what's ahead of us. This is the future. All of creation set free. All of creation healed, liberated. It is groaning right now to be made new, and it will be made new. Free from cancer, free from war, free from death. And this is our hope. This is part of our Christian hope. But not only does the creation groan, it says in verse 23, this is not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly or wait eagerly for the adoption, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience, right? We wait for it. We don't see it. It's not here yet. We're, we're longing for that. We're waiting for that. We're groaning for it. It says we ourselves with the first fruit of the Spirit are groaning for what's to come. You know, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you have tasted what's coming. You have tasted the joy and the peace and the love that is in God. You've, you've been given, the Bible says, a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. It's the beginning of what's coming. You begin to taste it, the first fruits of this glory and this joy and this love and this peace that's coming. And if you don't have the Spirit, if you don't know the Spirit, then you're missing out on what, who God is and what He's come to give us. He's come to place Himself in us as a taste to what's coming for all of eternity. And we're in this, yet we're in this here already, but not yet tension, right? He's making things new, but not, we're not all the way new yet. And so he's put the Spirit in us to also give us a foretaste of heaven, but also to begin transforming us even now. If we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, it says, now the, the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? In God, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's freedom from sin. There's freedom from ourselves. There's freedom from enslavement to what other people think of us, enslavement to our own flesh. There's this new freedom of new life in Christ. And it says, and we all with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He says that we are in a process of being transformed into the image of Christ, that the Spirit is working in you and me to change us, to become more like Jesus in His glorious, in His, be in his beauty, and in his, and his strength. And we are being transformed one degree to another. 
So there's hope. There's hope. There's things that we don't like about ourselves in this world now, but there's hope that God's working in us to change us. And there's hope that one day we will be fully changed. We will be transformed in Christ. Not only um, just in our attitudes or our minds, or, but in our bodies, literally our bodies. It says in this passage, the redemption of our bodies. The scripture talks a lot about the resurrection, that there will be a resurrection of all of us who have hope in Christ, and we will literally be given new bodies. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says that our, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. This, Jesus has got some power, Right? He got some power to, trans to subject all things to himself and to transform us into his glorious bodies. All right, no more back pain. Amen. Hallelujah, right? No more doctors, no more plastic surgery, no more medicine. Completely made new. You know, we're not made for heaven, guys. And I know sometimes we think a lot about that. Okay, we're going to die, we're going to go to heaven. We're not made for heaven. We're actually made for the earth. And, and what's going to happen in the future is going to be a renewal of the earth in, in the entire universe. And that's where we're going to dwell, and new bodies. This is what we have to look forward to. And so I can sit with my friend who is dying, and I can look at him and say, Brother, you got glory coming, man. You got glory coming. Your, your body is, is dying. You are fading away, and yet you are not going to fade away forever. There's glory coming for your life and renewal to your life and to your body. And there's hope. There's eternal hope in the message that we have as Christians. You know, I, I don't know if you guys are, do this much, but and if you ever get together with some of your old friends and you kind of look back and reminisce on the good old days, right? I know my parents, when they get together with their friends, they're always like reminiscing about the good old days, right? T telling the stories of how they were in high school and they were doing this and this and this. But, you know, when we think about it, our glory days are, are not behind us. Our glory days are ahead of us. Our glory days are coming when Jesus Christ comes and he resurrects us and he renews all of creation. You may have heard this analogy or seen this analogy online, and I'm not going to do it as well as Francis Chan, who's the guy who does this analogy. But um, if you think about a rope, right, and you take this rope and imagine that this rope is, is running in, down this stage, around this room, and it runs out the door and it runs down the hall and it runs all the way down into Austin and it runs through Austin, downtown Austin, and it runs all the way through Texas and it just keeps going and going and going for all of eternity, okay? So this is a very long rope. It looks short, but it's not. Use your imagination. <laughs> it goes for all of eternity, right? And this rope symbolizes, represents your existence, Okay? This rope represents your existence and my existence. Now, this part of this rope right here represents your life on earth. Right? This is where we're at right now, but this is what's coming. We have an eternity that's coming to be and live with Christ and one another, and yet so much of the time, we're living for this right here. 
this is what our mind's on. This is what our living for. Actually, we're not even living for all this. We, we're living actually for this. We save a bunch of money up. When we retire, we have really nice lives. <laughs> we're really living for that. When I get my big house, and I be on the golf course, right? This is what our lives, but this is nothing. And so, so many people are living for it. We're living for it. We, can we get a bigger bank account? Can I get more money? Can I get this job? Can I get this? I get this? I get this? I get this? And we're not even thinking about eternal things. We're, some of us in here are great, wise investors, and you're investing, you're making money, and you're investing. But listen, that stuff's all going to go. It's all going to end. It's all going to perish. But we have an opportunity to invest now in things that will last forever. And the way you live now will have an impact for all of eternity. And for some, it will be forever and ever and ever and ever, and ever with God. And some, it will be forever and ever and ever without Him. How we live now impacts the rest of eternity. And Jesus says there's a glory that's coming that's going to be forever, and it's going to be with Him, and He's going to come back, and He's going to establish it. So let's put our eyes and our hearts and our minds on Christ. Amen? And invest and live for what's coming. It's so easy to live for this world, and everything in this world points us to just live for ourselves. What lasts forever are people. You and me last forever. When we invest in people and people's lives, those are the treasures and the riches that will last forever. That's what God has called us into. If we look back in verse 18, and we look at... What Paul says, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. We are in a world that's broken and is suffering. But Paul says, listen, he says what Lewis's brother said to him, guys, a moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. A moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. The suffering we're going through now it does not compare with the glory that's going to be revealed in you. The glory that's going to be revealed will wipe away, will wash away any of our difficulties and any of our troubles, even though I know they're very hard and in the middle of them they're very extremely painful and they seem overwhelming, but the reality is what's coming will wash it away. It will be like if you were a baby and someone pricked you with a pin and now you're older and you don't even remember that prick. That pain at that time caused you to scream and cry, but now it's gone. It's faded away. It's been swallowed up by all the other things of life. And that's like this life, this suffering and this pain will be swallowed up with life. So we can press through it, right? We can go through the hardship because we know glory's ahead of us. Glory is what's coming. There's an inheritance and there's freedom, and that's coming. So we suffer, we work, we labor, we don't give up, we don't fall asleep as Jesus warned us. Don't fall asleep, right? I'm coming back. Be awake, be watchful, don't fall asleep because he's coming. He's coming. And we got to keep our eyes on that goal. We got to keep our eyes on that prize. He's coming. Let's not get tired. Let's not get weary. Let's not give up. He's coming. There's glory coming. There's life that's coming. And in verse 17, he says we're going to inherit these things of God, but he says this, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He says provided we suffer with him. So he's saying there is this, this part of participating in Christ means there's a suffering, joining in in his suffering here and now that we may join in, in his glory. He suffered for us and he was glorified for us. 
And he says, following me means you will suffer for others. Bob and Martha are suffering. They're suffering because they've chosen to follow Jesus and go to the ends of the earth with the gospel, but they're suffering. They've been broken into, and I know the feeling of being broken into, and it's terrible. And you get your stuff stolen, but they're doing this for God and for His glory, and He doesn't forget it, and He sees everything we do, and He will never forget every struggle, every difficulty, every hardship you go through for Him. There's glory that's coming. There's glory that's coming. And it's hard, but we, in this world, Jesus says, you know, we're to take up His cross, we're to take up His name, we're to identify with Him. And when we identify with Him and we live for Him and we go after His way, others in this world will frown upon it as they frown upon Jesus. They will look at it dumb and they'll laugh at it as stupid. When you talk about living for this long rope, that's crazy, right, for some people. They'll look down upon, oh, you believe the Bible, you're out of your mind. You know, when you say you believe in there's heaven and there's hell and there's Jesus and he's, a sa- he's the only Savior, only way to God, and there's a man and there's a woman and there's marriage, you, people think you're out of your mind in the context of our culture today. But there's this level of having to associate with Jesus and bear his shame for the sake of his glory that's coming. I mean, Jesus said to himself, whoever is ashamed of me and the Son of Man, when the Son of Man comes, he'll, in his glory, he'll be ashamed of them. There's this level of having to walk in some level of shame for Jesus, waiting for his coming. And others wouldn't accept Christ, and he said in John 12, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And if I'm honest with myself, there are times where I love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. There's times where I will shy away from Jesus to find my value and identity in the people around me, whether it's in the workplace or friends or family. But Jesus says, you know, you got to pick up your cross. Are you willing to pick up your cross and come after me, finding your glory in me and your hope in me and not in this world? Not all in this world, not in this world, because he's coming back, right? He's coming back. And when he comes back, he's bringing glory. And when he comes back, he's bringing judgment. And he told us this very key thing, and this is what I'm going to end on. He told us that before he comes back, that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. And he said in 2 Peter that he's not slow in coming back, but he's patient with us because he doesn't want any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's coming, but he's waiting. Why is he waiting so long? He's waiting that we would just stand up and bear the shame and bring his good news to everybody in the world. He wants everybody to know it so that everyone has an opportunity to live with him in glory and life and freedom forever. He's waiting for the good news to go to all those tribes and those nations who have not heard it yet. Those 3,080 people groups that are out there that haven't heard, they don't have the Bible, they don't have a church, no one's ever shared with them. He's waiting for all of them to hear. He's waiting for your friends and your family to come to know him. He's waiting for you to step up and bear your cross and step into the suffering that he suffered for you so that you could be in glory. Are you willing to give your life up so others may have life? That's what investing in eternity is all about. So I just want to urge you 
today as we're just thinking about all who Jesus is and what he's done for us to search your heart and say, Lord, help me put my mind and my eyes on you to live for your eternity and not just for my little world here. And if you don't know him, he's there and he's waiting and he wants to give you his spirit. He wants you to participate in that joy. If you don't know him, you can simply turn to him and tell him, oh, I just yield to you. I yield to you. Forgive me and give me your life. Because in him is inheritance, and in him is glory, in him is freedom, in him is life, in him is peace, in him is love, in him is renewal, in him is transformation, in him is eternity. Amen? And we're going to celebrate that forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. I just thank you so much for the hope we have. And I look at this world and I go, oh, there's so much brokenness and so many problems. It's so complex and so twisted. I don't know how to solve any of this stuff, but you know how to solve it. And you are going to bring solution. You are going to solve it. You, cause, you call us to work hard and labor, but yet you are promising to return and bring renewal. So we thank you for that, Lord. Help our, help our, help our hearts and our minds be fixed on it and our eyes be fixed on it, Lord. Forgive us when we lose our focus. And just put all of our focus in this world. Forgive us, Lord. And help us live for the sake of others. So that many, many more would come to know you, Jesus, before you come. So we thank you for your love. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.